Hi, I'm Olivia McCollins, and this is Purdue, the official podcast for Purdue University. Our conversations and stories feature Boilermaker students, faculty and staff, and alumni taking small steps toward their giant leaps and inspiring others to do the same. Purdue University graduates make an impact on the world. In this episode, we speak with alumnus Joe Rule, a biology and genetics teacher at Jefferson High School in Lafayette, Indiana. Describing himself as a lifelong learner, Rule has shared his love for science with thousands of students in his career spanning four decades. In part two, we highlight alumna Rita Caldwell, a global trailblazer and leader in science who has advanced the world's understanding about how to keep drinking water safe in developing countries. So you've been a teacher in the Lafayette School Corporation for some years now, and you describe oftentimes that teaching is your calling. How did you come to that conclusion? It has always been something I've enjoyed. I'm the oldest of five kids, and so I remember reading to my siblings when I was in first or second grade and even trying to teach them how to do some things that I was learning in school. So I think by calling, I mean a passion that is instilled in me. And as I was growing up, I took pleasure in like doing projects in elementary school. And then when my parents would come to open house, explaining to them what I had done, I don't, I don't know, I just took pleasure in that. When I came to Purdue as a freshman, I took a... A botany course, and the professor was a man named Dr. Sam Postlewaite, a botanist. And his course was so unique in the way it was set up and so innovative, and I just loved it. It involved self-pacing, individualized instruction, very student-centered. It was just totally unique. And that kind of inspired me even further, and I thought, I always had loved science, but I thought this would be a really fun, creative way to teach. I think I could get into this teaching thing. And it just thrills me when kids get really interested, when, kind of, when the enthusiasm kind of rubs off. And I enjoy the challenge of trying to make lessons non-traditional and trying to hook those kids who might not think they're going to get hooked. And what is really fulfilling is the occasional student who says, I, I think I want to do this for a living. I think I want to be a scientist. And they end up, see, since I'm old now, or more experience. I have the enjoyment <laughs> of having seen former students go on and become scientists. And that's the benefit of having stayed in this profession for a long time. But... Um, no, it's, it's quite fulfilling to see that happen. It's very gratifying. I, and I remember there was a light bulb moment. I remember if I could share it mm -hmm. where I had the students looking at pond water samples under the microscope. And this is pond water that I collected out at the celery bog in West Lafayette, brought it into school. And over the years, I've learned how to concentrate that water so that the little microinvertebrates, little microscopic creatures, are very concentrated in the water. But that's another story, how to do that for another time. 
But anyway, I remember the kids looking at Petri dishes of pond water, and they found a bunch of what are called Daphnia, Mm -hmm. tiny microscopic, almost microscopic invertebrates, and they're related to shrimp. And we were looking at these Daphnia, and they were all excited that they found them, creatures that they had never seen before. It was actually an introduction to biodiversity. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. And I remember a girl raised her hand and said, Mr. Rule, I think this one's having babies. And so I went over and looked at her microscope. Sure enough, they're little transparent creatures. Mm-hmm. And you could see the babies inside. They hatch out inside the mother. And then they were popping out one by one. And she was so excited. And so all the kids came over and they all wanted to look and see. And that was one of those, I call it uh, serendipitous moments of joy. Mm-hmm. unplanned. It's not in the state standards. It was unplanned, but the kids thought it was really cool and they wanted to do more. And I couldn't get them away from the microscopes. So those are those moments that eh, just keep me going. Mm-hmm. And uh, they thought that was pretty cool. Rule is a revered teacher, not only because of his teaching, but also because of the care and attention he gives to each student. I've discovered, and I'm not the first to discover this, okay? <laughs> like I said, I stand on the shoulders of giants. I've learned, let's, let me put it that way, that the most powerful way of motivating high school students is if they perceive that you, the teacher, cares about them as individuals. And that happens when you're able, when you have the time to build relationship. And so when I'm sitting down with a group of three or four kids, oftentimes I'm not only helping them with a problem that they're working on, but I might just casually ask, how's your softball practice going? You still working at McDonald's? Those just little, real quick little conversations, they don't take a lot of time building relationships. And kids, kids respond positively to that. Rule has received many local accolades, but he also has been recognized twice on the national stage. He received the 1989 Presidential Award for Excellence in Science Teaching and was inducted into the National Teachers Hall of Fame in 2017. Oh, goodness. Well, that, <laughs> yes, spring of 2017, we had a special assembly program, the entire school and I didn't know what was going on. I knew I was in the running, okay? But I had no idea what was going on. And everybody was saying, why are we having an assembly program in the gym? We never have an assembly in the gym with the entire student body. Hmm. We, we never do that. Why, why in the morning even? Usually if we're in the gym having some kind of an assembly, it's a pep session at the end of the school day. Hmm. But here it was in the morning. What's going on? Why are we going to the gym? principal called us down there. We got down there and, um, and I looked and there seated on the side, the gym was packed with kids and all the Mm -hmm. teachers and everybody seated on the side were, um, state Senator Ron Alting, state representative, Sheila Klinker, the superintendent, Mayor Roswarski. And I thought, oh, what's going on here? And I, I was kept in the dark as much as they could, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, and then my parents walk out and my, my kids and grandkids. 
And I thought, what are they doing here? Okay. I'm fighting back the tears, okay, because I think I'm getting a clue of what's happening. The principal, Mr. Preston, got up to the microphone and said, we have a special guest here from the National Teachers Hall of Fame in Emporia, Kansas. Mm -hmm. And then she went up to the microphone and introduced me and said, uh, Mr. Rule has been selected to be inducted into the National Teachers Hall of Fame. And so I, that meant I was one of five preschool through 12th grade teachers from the entire country selected to be inducted into this National Teachers Hall of Fame. I learned later that I, since the Hall of Fame opened in 1992, up until now, mm -hmm. I'm only the sixth Hoosier really? from Indiana to, to be inducted. They, they induct five teachers every year. And um, the feeling I had was, it wasn't a prideful thing. It was more than anything, very humbling. Mm -hmm. Because I looked out over the bleachers, it's packed with teachers and students, and I looked at all these teachers who I've learned from. You know, we're colleagues. Mm -hmm. We share ideas. And, and it was very humbling. Because the thought that I had was, you know, why me? That, that was my first thought. But of course I was thrilled. Mm -hmm. I was just thrilled. They took the five of us the five inductees, you know, to Washington, D.C. Um, we went to the White House. Now, that was my second trip to the White House. Second. I was blessed to receive uh, the Presidential Award for Excellence in Science Teaching, which is given to one science teacher in each state, plus U.S. territories. Okay. One science teacher in each state each year. And so that was a that was the first trip to the White House. Now, so there, I met. Then it was President uh, George, the first George Bush. Oh, H W. Okay. H W. And Dan Quayle, Vice President. So I shook you know shook hands with them, met them. The thing I remember most about George Bush, such a gracious gentleman. Mm. I mean, I'll never forget that. He walked over to me with his hand out, welcome to the White House. And, and I, I said something like, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I said, it's a pleasure to meet you, sir. Something rehearsed kind of like that. And he goes, well, it's a pleasure to meet you. And it was uh, really a moment. As he reflects on his career, I asked him how he wants his students to remember him. I want them to remember me as someone who found joy in just doing science and learning about the natural world. I, I want them to experience that. I want their lives to be enriched because, as I mentioned earlier, I really believe the more we learn about how the natural world works mm -hmm. through science, the more we learn about science, that that enhances the beauty that we see in the natural world. And I want them to experience that because people's lives are enriched when there's beauty in their lives or when they perceive beauty in the lives of those around them, the natural world around them. And so I'm just hoping that I can make a difference. And um, it's been a quite 
it's been a very gratifying and and fulfilling career. Mm-hmm. And like I tell young teachers, it's hard work. It's hard work. But the more you put into anything in life, the more you get out of it. We now focus our attention to Rita Caldwell, who excelled as a science teacher, but her path after Purdue took her into national leadership and global excellence in science. For decades, Purdue University has been known as the cradle of astronauts. 25 Purdue alumni have been pioneers in space exploration. Purdue is less famous, however, for the tremendous success of its alumni leaders of the National Science Foundation, the government agency that supports fundamental research and education in all the non-medical fields of science and engineering. These remarkable alumni had their path to NSF leadership paved for them by microbiologist reader Rossi Caldwell. Caldwell earned her undergraduate degree in bacteriology in 1956 and her master's in genetics in 1957, both from Purdue. With those degrees from Purdue's College of Science and a doctorate in oceanography from the University of Washington in 1961, Caldwell established an impressive career. She was a faculty member and researcher before her 1998 appointment as the first female director of the NSF, serving under U.S. Presidents Bill Clinton and George W. Bush. Today, she acknowledges that she began and is responsible for the Purdue NSF dynasty. Caldwell is now a distinguished university professor at both the University of Maryland and at Johns Hopkins University Bloomberg School of Public Health. After she served as the NSF's 11th director from 1998 to 2004, Caldwell's immediate successor was Arden Bement, a Purdue Distinguished Professor Emeritus of Nuclear Engineering and the founding director of the Purdue Policy Research Institute. Later, Franz Cordova became the 14th and current director of our country's leading research enterprise. While Caldwell was at NSF, she championed the agency's emphasis on K-12 science and mathematics education. She also increased the participation of women and minorities in science and engineering. Her leadership strengthened traditional NSF activities and established support for major novel initiatives in nanotechnology, biocomplexity, and information technology. She also advocated for the social, behavioral, and economic sciences and the 21st century workforce. I think my time at NSF was successful is because um, I genuinely love science. Uh, and also, I'm a very strong proponent of mathematics because I consider it the Esperanto or, or the language of science and engineering. And I worked really hard to double the budget for mathematics. Caldwell is especially proud to have led the NSF through the greatest period of growth in its 50-year history. During her six-year tenure, the agency's annual budget surged by 67% to $6 billion. Today, its budget approaches $8 billion. I could see the future because at the same time, I also worked really hard to bring a billion new dollars into the NSF to fund cyber infrastructure. And uh, I worked really hard to make sure that all the directors, not just the computer science directorate, had a, some of, some new funding for for com- computational sciences mm-hmm. and information sciences, mm-hmm. because every single science and engineering and social behavioral sciences all now are, are part of what I suppose we call the big data initiative. Caldwell also made the case to hire 50 new staff members. 
the first additional full-time hires at the NSF in a decade, with support from her staff and an important Purdue figure, current Purdue president Mitch Daniels. Daniels was then serving as director of the Office of Management and Budget under President George W. Bush. In the end, Congress agreed to fund 25 of the 50 new NSF positions requested. A few months later, Caldwell proudly recalls how Purdue's future president characterized the NSF at a National Press Club talk. Mitch Daniels announced at the National Press Club that the best managed agency in the federal government was the National Science Foundation. (laughs) As the author or co-author of more than 800 scientific publications and 17 books, Caldwell gained global recognition for her research of infectious diseases transmitted through water sources, particularly cholera, in developing nations. Unique to her role at the NSF, Caldwell maintained strong ties to her research in the microbiology and biotechnology laboratories at the University of Maryland Biotechnology Institute in Baltimore. Caldwell worries that climate change will have a profound impact on the spread of cholera. She has proposed inexpensive methods for people in the developing world to filter water when water treatment facilities are not available. In one three-year study involving 133,000 people in rural Bangladesh, folded sari cloth or nylon mesh filters were placed over water pots to filter drinking water from local waterways. The inexpensive and readily available materials yielded a 48% reduction in cholera when compared with unfiltered water from the same sources. Through these efforts, Caldwell helped establish an international network called the Safe Water Network. The New York-based organization, founded by Paul Newman and his wife Joanne Woodward, is bringing attention and establishing predictive tools to deal with the emergence of new infectious diseases in drinking and bathing water. Among her numerous accomplishments, Caldwell was awarded the Lee Kuan Yew Water Prize in 2018 for her life-saving work in fighting waterborne diseases, the International Prize for Biology in 2017, and the Stockholm Water Prize in 2010. She also was selected as a science envoy, alongside Purdue Distinguished Professor of Agronomy and 2009 World Food Prize winner Gabesa Ejeta by President Barack Obama in 2010 as part of the administration's effort to build international partnerships through scientific exchange. She was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame in 2005. President Daniels is quick to acknowledge Caldwell's exceptional contributions. He has said that there is, quote, literally no alumna of whom Purdue is more proud, end quote. Caldwell is convinced her career and academic accomplishments would not have been possible without Purdue and the College of Sciences academic rigor and commitment to undergraduate research activities. It's been absolutely the best thing. I became a scientist. I made excellent friends. The recipient of 63 honorary doctorate degrees, including two from her alma mater, Caldwell says she was honored to deliver the commencement address at Purdue in December 2019, summarizing her talk with a simple reminder. It is said over and over again at commencement, but it it just can't be said said enough. And that is you have to follow your heart. You, 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 You don't look to see what will make you fit for a job today. It's what you love to do. And that will keep you for a lifetime. Thanks for listening to This is Purdue. For more information on this episode, visit our website at purdue.edu slash podcast. There you can route to your favorite podcast app, subscribe, and leave a review. As always, boiler up. <laughs>